I want to go to Revelations chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. I have some notes and some I may not have. Um, I, uh, I do feel like I have a word of encouragement. And uh, I want to come and build faith. Is that all right if I just build your faith tonight? Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he that sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed, blessed is he, excuse me, that readeth and they that hear the words of his prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. I'm going to skip down to verse 9. I will skip those other ones. Verse 9, John, he said, I, John, also... And your brother and a companion of tribulation. He's wanting to encourage a church because he knows that the church is going to walk through some valleys and go through some hardships, be in some uncomfortable situations. I just want to pause right here to tell you the greatest men and women of God that's ever been used didn't become who they were without the tribulation that they walked through. It was somebody that told Brother Anthony Mangan said, uh, I want to I write a song like Brother Carol Magruder. He said, I want to be able to write with that kind of anointing and that kind of fervency. He said, well, if you do, he said, you're going to have to also walk in the shoes and the hardships that he walked through. Without pain, we wouldn't know what healing was like. Without death, we wouldn't know resurrection. Without sickness, we would not know what it's like to experience the, the blood and the healing power of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I glory in mine infirmities. He was not on drugs. He was not, he was not crazy. Why would somebody say, I glory in mine infirmities? And most of the time we spend our life praying away from, praying away from trials and tribulations when God says, look, I'm going to use these situations because you've been praying your whole life for me to use you, but you're not going to have a testimony if you don't have a trial. So he said, I'm a brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of the Lord and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the and the first and the last, and thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Samaria and unto Pergamos and Thyrotyra and Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. I have one more scripture and I did not give it to you. James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I want to preach to you just for a little while tonight and I need the help 
I need your help this, this evening. I'm going to take this off. I didn't plan to, but I'm going to take it off and I'm going to lay it right there. Everybody, it's okay. You, it's okay. I, I love that man right there. Thank you for that. It's okay down there. He's not going anywhere. It didn't cost a lot of money, I'll tell you that. I want to talk to you just for a while on this thought. Don't let your trial go to waste. Don't let your trial go to waste. Right now, in the name of Jesus, by the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you would touch my lips of clay. Lord, I pray that you would somehow speak through me, this imperfect man, to a church that is, desires to know your will. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate the hearts and the minds of your people. I plead the blood of Jesus on this congregation. And I pray that a move of the Holy Ghost would come to us in the name of Jesus by a power and the authority of your Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It wasn't in my plans, but right before I got here, I felt the, the leading of the Lord to start right here. I uh, was a mama's boy. Loved my mama. I prayed for 27 years that my mother would come and live in Indiana, raised in Illinois, and they pastored for a long time. My father couldn't seem to get away, but for 20 some odd years, I prayed that my mother would move to Illinois. And one of the greatest calls I got, I've ever had, Brother Bolt, is when my mom called me and said, we found a house, I want you to go check on it. So I went and drove out and looked at it, come to find out it was a bank foreclosure that was an amazing, amazing deal. Mom and dad finally, after 20 some odd years, <clears throat> moved to, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> to Illinois. And anytime anybody can move out from Illinois, you're blessed. And that's not even a joke. And I remember them coming here. And I, I'm not going to end on a down note. But I will say this. In six months we put her in the ground. I had no idea. But before she died. I was driving from Methodist Hospital back home to, to, to Bloomington area. And I began to hear from the Lord. And the first part of it wasn't pleasant. He said, I'm going to take your mama. And I began to argue with him. And I said, but I am a man of faith. And I, pre I preach faith. And I preach healing. And I believe that you can do anything. I've seen dead raised. I've seen cancers healed. I've seen blinded eyes healed. I've seen every manner of sickness and disease that you can think of healed throughout my 47 years. And I said, God, I had faith that you can heal her despite what the doctors say that ALS is incurable. And the Lord just began to ease it on into my mind and my heart. He said, I'm going to go ahead and take them. But he said, I did not, I, I, I'm not going to allow death to take her down. He said, I want to explain something to you. And he brought a story to my mind. When I was a younger man, I was studying for a message. And I saw something in the scripture of when God tells Moses. He said, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He begins to give 
God a long line of excuses as to why he couldn't do it. One of those ones was he said, I'm incapable because of my speech is not the greatest. And he said that I'm just not able. I'm going to go walk before the most powerful man in the world and I speak like this and he's going to listen to me. And the Lord spoke to him and gave him an encouraging word. He said, look, and I'm going to give you Adam Hill's lingo. He said, I'm not going to use you. has nothing to do with you. He said, I'm going to cause that. Now listen. He said, I'm going to cause the hand of the Egyptians to drive my people out of Egypt. Well, when it happened in real time, when Moses and the rest of the Israelites were walking across on dry ground, they get across and surprisingly they turn around and they begin to see the Egyptian army coming after them. God knew what was going to happen next. He knew that they were going to panic. He knew that they were going to lose faith. And that's why God told Moses, he said, I want you to stand still. He said, I want you to tell your people to stop where they're at. He said, I don't want you to tell them to look around and don't get on your knees and pray. He said, but I want you to turn around and I want you to face the enemy. And he said, I want you to watch. Stand still. What did he say? Stand still. Don't say a word. Don't open your mouth. Don't even pray. Don't worship. Don't lift your voice. Don't lift your hands. Don't go to your knees. He said, I want you to watch and stand still. And he said, I am going to show you the salvation of the Lord. Egypt was coming after Israel. And Israel in real time thought that the Egyptians were coming after them to take them back. That's what was in the minds of the Egyptians was to take them back. But in God's plan, God was using the trial. God was using the enemy to drive them into their destiny. I said God was using their dilemma to drive them into their destiny. I want to tell somebody tonight that is running low on faith. The problems that you've been facing were not sent to you because he wants you to be taken down. He's not, the devil's not after you. God's not just allowing the enemy to come after you to wear you down and rob you of your faith. Can I tell you tonight that the trials that we faced have been allowed and designed to fulfill the perfect will of God in your life. I want you to know something that the devil, he thinks he has got a, us and the church on the run. He thinks America in a, as a whole is going to cower down. He thinks that the churches are going to lose our faith over racial riots. Pain, uh, all kinds of debauchery in our cities overran with racial division. But can I tell you something? I want you to hear me and hear me well. That God is going to cause every devil to drive us into our destiny. What are you saying, Brother Hill? I'm telling you right now that anybody sick, it's an opportunity for you to get healed. Every problem that you're dealing with in your family right now, every issue that you think is out of your control, 
any financial difficulties that you're having, any sickness that's in your body, as God is going to allow that situation to accomplish what he wants to in your life. Don't let the enemy drag you down and talk you out of your blessing. I want you to know something. Death came to my mother's door and took her away. And the devil told me, started telling me that your God is not a healer. You're not a man of faith. All that stuff you preached about laying hands on the sick and they shall recover, it didn't happen. But I turn around and I remind the devil, Brother Snow, every time I get a chance. Devil, you didn't kill my mama. Jesus resurrected my mama. Every great man and woman of Jesus goes through trials and tribulation. Paul understood that better than anybody when he prayed three times for the same reason. The thorn in his flesh that he had, I don't know exactly what it was. There's a lot of assumptions. And I don't believe that anybody knows for sure the Bible's not clear. But three times... Three times he prayed. I don't think, Brother Balt, that it was one of those lay me down to sleep prayers. I believe that it was an earnest prayer out of the depth of his heart. I believe that he meant every word. I believe there wasn't a, there, there wasn't a time where he went fastless. I believe that he was continually in prayer. He meant every prayer. This is the same one that saw shadows of men heal people. It's the same one that was around in the miracle days when Peter walks on water and Jesus fed the 5,000. I know he wasn't in the flock at that time, but he was aware of the power of God. Preached miracles greater, more than anybody besides that of Jesus. And here's a man that's trying to pray. Himself out of his sickness. And the best thing, the best answer that Jesus could give to him was he said, My grace is sufficient for him. You know why Paul didn't pray again? Because he understood, but it was only the grace and the mercy of God he was able to preach anyway. And he just said, You know what? I'll be okay with it. Grace and mercy is enough. Can I tell you, if Jesus never does another thing for his church, mercy and grace is enough. Oh, you got to hear me. Come on. Grace and mercy is enough. I don't, you know, I, I pray for miracles and things and I pray for healings and things and every now and then I'll walk away disappointed. But you know what? Jesus has to remind me that I died for you 2,000 years ago. You were uncleanable. You were, you were lost and I pulled you out of a devil's pit. Mercy and grace is enough for all of us. We could dismiss and go home if we wanted to, knowing that mercy and grace is enough. We find through the scriptures that men like John, the revelator, let me give you a little uh, history uh, of what John had to go through. 
Just in that time, it was estimated that more than 50 million Christians died for their faith in the Dark Ages. It's estimated that one million Christians died for their faith in that area or around that in, in, in the communist China. Unnumbered thousands died as martyrs in, in the revolutionary war, uh, civil wars in the, on the continent of Africa. The word martyr originally meant witness. But as the early witnesses sealed with their blood their testimony to the faith, the first meaning was readily merged into the second meaning. And at Lyons in A.D. 177, those who had been scourged and branded and exposed to wild beasts humbly disowned the name martyrs, preferring to, be, to confine that exalted title to Jesus Christ. They did not want to put that, the label on themselves because they knew they weren't good enough. And that is why when they went to crucify the apostle Peter, when he looked at them, he did not beg for his life. He did not ask them to make it easier on him or make it quick. He did not ask them to let him go and have mercy. You know what he asked? He said, listen, when you kill me, he said, don't crucify me like you did Jesus. He hung this way. He said, but when you kill me, just turn me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. That is somebody that was willing to face a trial. And John the Revelator, John was one such Christian who was persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. John should have died at the hands of the prosecutors. History bears out that John was literally boiled in oil. It was punishment enough to kill anyone else. I don't know. Well, I do know that Jesus had his hand on him, boiled him in oil, and he did not die. And at that day, the Romans had a law called double jeopardy. We still have a law that resembles that today. You can't be tried for the same crime twice. They could not kill John, they tried to boil him in oil. And they could not get it done. So they threw their hands up and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with John? We don't want John having an effect on the church. We know his voice is clearing out our congregation. And so we've got to get rid of him. Someone says, well, I know what to do with him. We'll just take him and kill him. They said, well, we can't because the law said we can't kill him. So what are we going to do with John? They said, well, let's get rid of him. Let's seclude him. Let's put him on an island so his voice cannot help anybody else's. We'll put him on there with all those thieves on the island called Patmos. And nobody else will have anything to do with him. He cannot have a, a, any effect on anybody. We know that John had, had children. The Bible talks about when he said that I find no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. And John on that day, I used to think John was kind of fortunate. Because he wasn't beheaded like John, uh, de, uh, Paul. And he, he wasn't hung upside down like Peter. He wasn't flayed to death like Bartholomew. And so on and so on. And he gets to be put on an island. But I believe, I tend to believe the longer that I live that what, that would have been a greater torment to seclude him from everything that he loved. They put him on an island and every single day he had to walk up to that, that, that uh, it was, uh, there was uh, three layered on that island, rocks on the left, rocks on the right. 
jagged rocks and behind him and that sea that was standing before him every single day. He got up, he walked to the edge of that sea standing there in his dusty old feet and his sandals on that beach wondering if his children were alive, wondering if his wife was alive, wondering if she had remarried. I wonder what my house is like. I wonder if dad and mom still live in tortured every single day of his life. And there's one of the greatest scriptures that I've ever heard in my life. I'd seen, I'd never seen it before. It's in Revelations when he said there'll be no more sickness, no more death for the former things. But he goes on, he said, I, John, before that, he said, I, John, saw a holy city coming down. And he went on to explain, the Bible said there was, and he looked up and there was no more heaven and no more earth. And then it said something else that I had never seen. And one day it hit me. It said, and there was no more earth. Or excuse me, no more sea. No more sea. Somebody say it with me. No more sea. That sea was his greatest enemy, Brother Snow. Every single day, it was what kept him from seeing visually what he loved. That sea was his greatest worry. It had him contained and confined. He, 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 was, he was not himself on that sea. But Jesus came down to him and said, John, I'm going to show you a place that I, it's going to be the greatest place you've ever seen. And you see that water right there? I'm going to eliminate it in your life. That's the best news we can have all day. Brother Bingham, on the other side of the sea. My mama, on the other side of the sea. Sister Bolt, on the other side of the sea. But guess what? The good news is one day there's going to be an eastern sky split. And that sea is going to disappear. And there's not going to be no more sickness, no more death, for the former things are passed away. So he's tortured John mentally. He's got him beat down. What do you do when you seclude men of women of, of, of God? What do you do when you take them away from the, the, the people that you preach? What do you do? How can you, have, how can you have any kind of impact on a world when they shut the churches down? What, what, what kind of impact can a church have in places overseas where they have to have church in their house hide from everybody because they're worried about getting stoned to death? What do you do? Well, most people would run and hide. And sometimes you can separate the church from the people that need preached. But according to the Word of God, we find that you can't separate God from His church. And on that island, hear me, on that island being mentally tortured, he's in the greatest trial of his life. He's never faced anything like that. He would have rather died swiftly. He would have rather been crucified and died in a day. But he's tortured there on that property all around him with all these ungodly men. Murderers, rapists, all kinds of people that, 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 that hated anything to do with the things of God. And he's there and guess what happened? Jesus puts a pen in John's hand. And right in the middle of his greatest trial, he begins to write. I, John, in the greatest trial of his life, 
God uses him more than he could have ever been used in the history of his life on an island. Sometimes we'll wake up feeling so alone and so secluded from everything that we love. And the devil's standing there and you're telling, you can't have an impact on this world. You can't fulfill the will of God in your life. You're not going to be any impact for nothing. You've done too much. You've messed up. You, 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 you're too sick. You, you, you're not healthy enough. You're too old. You're washed up. Whatever it is, I'm going to tell you something. That God can use you. I don't care how much pain you're in. I don't care if he's got you on an island by yourself. You can have a revival. He did the same thing the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, to me, the, probably the greatest preacher that's ever walked the face of the earth besides Jesus. Powerful preacher. Anybody know any greater preacher than the Apostle Paul? I would have loved to hear him in person. All I know is all these wonderful, great, powerful preachers that preach today preach almost all of his messages. So I don't preach anybody's message. You ever preach Paul's message? Matter of fact, you're damned if you don't. According to Galatians 1 and 8, if you don't preach any other message than what I preach, he said, let them be accursed. I preach John's stuff. John's the greatest preacher. And here's the deal. John, he was as great as he was, finds himself being persecuted for doing the will of God. Oh, I want to sit, pause right here. Here's a commercial break. Sometimes we go through pain and suffering and people stand around like Job's wife and say, what in the world did you do? Why in the world did you and his friends? What happened? You must have failed really bad. You know what? Sometimes you're a target from the devil because you've done things right. Don't let the enemy or this world tell you that you're a failure because you're going through trials and tribulation. Sometimes you're just going through hard times because you're a target from hell. And the Apostle Paul's chained to a prison wall, beaten sadistically, just for loving people, for giving people the gospel, and, 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 and trying to win people to, the, to, to, the, uh, to heaven. And I was praying, a few, it's been a while back, I was praying. I pray more often than that. But this one time that I was praying, I was praying, I was studying the scripture, and I was looking at the timeline of Paul's life. And I began to argue with God. Imagine this. I'm arguing with God. I said, God, Paul is in prison. In the prime of his ministry. And you've got him chained to a prison wall. He'll never be a greater preacher than he is now. He should be out preaching revival. He's got a lot of churches to go preach. Corinth, Ephesus, the church in Rome. All these churches was without Paul. They needed revival. And Paul's in prison. Here I am trying to tell God how to do his job. I said, God, you've got him chained to a prison wall. And he needs to be out preaching because he's the best preacher in the world. You know what the Lord spoke to me and said, oh, yeah. He said, I could have done it. He said, but if I would have done it your way. He said, the only people that would have heard his voice are the people that was right there. He said, but you know what I did? He said, I left him chained to a prison wall right in the middle of his trial. He said, I put a pen in his hand. And 
and he wrote three quarters of the New Testament in a dungeon of a prison. Smack tab right in the middle of the worst time in the Apostle Paul's life is when he had the greatest impact. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded saint. There's nothing more dangerous than a wounded saint. Matter of fact, you can be a danger to yourself if you choose to be. Or you can choose to be a danger to the world. Because when, you, when, when the devil gets a saint wounded, just know this, that his dad can hear the cries of their people. And that's the exact reason why Paul said, I glory in mine infirmities. Because he had an understanding that the most powerful time in his life was when he was broken and beat up. That's when your prayers are more intense. That's when you're going to mean it most. Most everybody in this place came to church because you were broken and wounded. You know what I say? The devil should have never hit some of y'all. You're the greatest threat to his kingdom. Why? Because you are walking out of pain. Matter of fact, when you get to heaven, you're going to be displayed by ones that try to make excuses. Because Jesus is going to march you in front of people that tried to make excuses and say, I can't make it. And Jesus is going to say, look at these. These are they who have come out of great tribulation. So I want to tell you something. I know you've been beat up. And I know you feel wounded. But I want you to know something. The devil's scared to death of the child of God that's been beaten. You know what he's got in his mind? Is when he put a wounded lamb in a tomb. And three days later that wounded lamb walked out the line of Judah. He remembers that. He remembers every revival that ever came through. Those men and women came out wounded and beaten, but they preached more passionately and with more love. Now you got a trial. You got your trial. You're you're hurt. And you're man. I I feel the Holy Ghost. I, look, if you're looking for polish, you're going to have to wait till next week. I think of. I know. I know we're hurting. And I know you're going through trials. God sent me here to tell you this. And I want to remind you, Samson. He was larger than life. His life is, he, I'm enamored by Samson. Samson, he uh, had to be the strongest guy in the world. And no, it didn't come from Hollywood. Matter of fact, Hollywood got a lot of their ideas in their movies. The Hercules and all these superheroes from the Bible. And Hollywood thinks they're slick. Do you know Superman came from a Trinity standpoint? The guy that wrote, wrote the story of Superman had got his dad, sent his son to earth to save people. Like that's where they got that. From a trinity, which we know that Jesus is the Son, but we know He is the Father. 
But he got, they get this story. Samson was a powerful foe. He was a bad dude. What, what kind of man, you ever met a man that could chase down 300 foxes? That run approximately 42 miles per hour. And all the animal rights activists are going to be mad. He chased them down by himself. He didn't have a forerunner. He didn't have a motorcycle. He ran them down. 42 mile an hour, caught all of them, tied their tails. This is what's going to make them mad. Set them on fire, ran them through the fields of the enemy. Kind of brutal, I know. He grabbed the gates of a city. Not the gate to your garden. Not, not just a gate to your estate. But the gates of a city. Which I don't know how tall it was. But I, I do know that the, the gates of a city was very capable of keeping entire armies out of the city. He walks up to the gates. Uprooted them. And he ran up the side of a mountain. It wasn't enough for him to just show off and say, I uprooted it and threw it down. There it is. Put it back. He took it and ran up the side of a mountain. One day a lion came after him. With his bare hands. I don't recommend this, guys. To go to the zoo and try that. But a, a, an adult lion, he grabs it and he rips it apart and kills it with his bare hands. Standing out on a battlefield and killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Who would want to mess with Samson? He did so much more. Powerful, powerful man, gifted of God. Was on top of the world. Uh, he was a target from hell. I'm, I know everybody wanted to destroy him. All the enemies wanted him out of the picture. They knew that they didn't have a chance because they had Samson. And finally, in his great, one of his greatest, you know, the story of how he lost his vision. And he, he's, he's some chick. And she didn't even have a gun. Couple winks at him. Promised him a couple steak dinners. He loses his strength. Now hear me. I need you to see the contrast here. That Samson's the most powerful man on planet earth. He could have whatever he wanted. And he loses his vision. And this is what he went from. He went from a man that could pick up the gates of a city. Kill a thousand men. Chase 300 foxes down. Kill a lion. To a man that has lost his vision. His eyes are completely gouged out of his head. He didn't have a doctor trying to help him. Give him some antibiotics. He's oozing out of his head. He's lost his vision. All he's dealing with is the remembrance of a memory of once upon a time great man. He was, became a laughing stock of his nation. All the enemy set back and made him a target. And he goes from that being that great specimen of a man to a man had lost his strength and lost his vision. And they made him 
work like an ox. Talk about losing position. He's broken. Imagine the pain in his heart. Imagine the regrets that he had. He's in the trial of his life. Hear me. It was self-inflicted. It wasn't like Job that was doing things right and got a target by hell. It was self-inflicted. It was his fault. Now I know sometimes we do things to our own self and we get in predicaments that we did it. And we, get, we beat up ourselves and say, well, I'm reaping what I sow. And that's probably the truth. But when you're dealing with people like that, you can't lord over people and say, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why'd you do that? Enough guilt, they got enough guilt to kill them and destroy them anyway. And he is self-inflicted. It's his fault. His trial didn't come to him because he did good. It came to him because he became a liar and he became a thief. Took what was God's and gave it away to the enemy. And he's walking around like an ox, oozing out of his eyes, broken. And the Bible says... It, which is a sad story. And he, he, he begins to pray this prayer. Move on me one more time. Which is possibly the saddest story or prayer that anybody's ever prayed. Why not move on me more than once? If he had enough faith that God could move on him once. Maybe he could have enough faith that God could re, give him back his strength for good. Maybe God could give him his sight back. And he possibly would. But God answers his prayer. And he let one of those youth, younger boys lead him to the pillars. And he began to push there. And some people say, well, he really ended his life and committed suicide. I don't believe that his plan was to kill himself. But all I do know is that Samson pushed those pillars over. Hear me. And the Bible says, it says it specifically. It says he defeated more enemy. That day. Broken, lost his sight, lost his strength, lost his hair, lost everything, lost his friends. He's standing there. He's the greatest spectacle to hell. And the Bible says when he was broken, he destroyed more enemy than he ever did when he had it all together. Some of us are waiting for God to get things all perfect in our life. To accomplish what God wants us to do in our life. How about right now, David? You're too young. You're too small. And nobody else has got the guts to face Goliath. How about you get out there and you do what God called you to do? How about you do it, Gideon, when you lost 130,000 men? Devil don't want to deal with any wounded kids. I'm not going to keep you too long, but hear me. September 11th was one of a day that we all remember. A lot of I, I keep forgetting how long ago it was. A lot of our our youth wasn't even born then. They just it's a it's in the history books. I was I believe everybody can probably remember where you were at the day that happened. What a catastrophe. It angers me when I start thinking about it and how it happened. And um, I uh, never seen devastation like that except 
If I had a picture, I'd show you a lot of you had seen on Facebook where our home was hit by a tornado and we lost our home, we lost our cars, we lost my mother and father and all lived next door in that little old house. And Jesus had his hand on every single person in that house. Everything blew away and twisted everything. Pictures of family photos found up here. An hour and some odd miles from home, almost 100 miles from home. We're down there. And uh, I've seen that devastation, but I've seen the pictures of 9-11. It sickens me. And every now and then I'll get on and watch the videos because I want to be reminded. Every now and then I do. But the devastation, that place wasn't just two buildings. Do you know it had its own zip code? It was separate. It was a separate zip code to everything that was connected to it. it had, they had everything. It was just an amazing thing. It stood for our economy. It stood for the backbone of our country. It was a lot of, lot of uh, energy and blood, sweat, and tears went into those two buildings. And when those two planes hit those buildings and after they fell, they, I, I read and I watch the videos of, of how much damage and how much pain and the loss of people and the horrific sight and the sounds, the sirens, the, the screams, the crying and uh, just all kinds of uh, any, anything that you could think of evil. It was in that area. There was a lot of crime going on and People were taking advantage of people, people's situation and breaking in cars and that whole city was chaos. And the damage, I should have brought a picture and put it up there, but the damage of, of that was absolutely unfathomable. If you weren't there, I had a couple buddies that went to help clean up and they said you would not even begin to understand if you did not see it. There were people that saw it for the first time that they immediately went into heart attack mode. So there were some people that saw it for the first time and died from shock of a heart attack because what they saw there. And of all that that happened, I look, I found a story that absolutely turned my world upside down. And I, I don't know who it was. I don't know whose idea it was. But all that rubble that laid at the bottom of that devastation Chaos, the steel that, 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 was, that had been dug up for years. It took them to harvest that kind of steel. Somebody gets an idea said, what are we going to do with this mess? It's overwhelming. We don't know what to do with it. They begin to hire outside uh, subcontractors to come in and clean it up days and days and days, even with the large equipment. And somebody, bless their heart, Bless their mind comes up with an idea. They built. Now I don't know if, if you know this or not. Some of y'all may know it. Maybe y'all know it. They built what is known. Do you have access to the internet to put pictures up? If you don't, that's fine. If you do, look up the USS New Yorker. The USS New Yorker is the greatest war machine that's ever been built in the history of mankind. Thousands of years, thousands of years of, 
of uh, engineering and inventors and builders have never built anything this spectacular. Wish I had the dimensions. But somebody took 24,000 ton, Brother Balt, of the steel and built that. That ship right there was built out of the steel that came out of those twin towers. And I asked myself, when I, sometimes a life falls apart, I say, what am I going to do with this, desperate, this pain? What am I going to do with the mess that I'm walking in? What am I going to do with the rubble that's in my life? And you know what? Sometimes I don't feel like I have the strength to do anything. But you know what God's looking for? He's looking for vessels to stand up and say, Devil, you've knocked me around long enough. You've taken enough of me. You've taken too many of my grandchildren. You've taken too many of my kids. You've taken my brother and sister. You've taken too many backsliders. What we ought to do is design a war machine that will take out the enemy. I'll continue stand. Continue stand. Listen to me. Listen to me. The devil has he he has feels like he's won the war and the morale of this country. It's it's mind boggling. I understand that. I know that we our country has seen better days, and I know that uh, our ethics and our morals in our country has has been better. But I love that scripture. The Bible says where sin abounds. Grace doth much more abound. You know what that tells me? That when the world gets worse and when the trials get bigger, God is always one step further. You can't get too bad for God not to be able to fix you. That cancer can't be too far along for God not to heal Like Mary and Martha said, God, we're in the middle of this trial. Matter of fact, we're so bad in this trial that my brother, he's not just dead, but he's been dead for four days. And by now, he stinketh. There's absolutely nothing can be done right now. And they were left there praying like many of us pray. If you'd have showed up a few days ago, Jesus, things wouldn't be this bad. If you'd have just healed this cancer last year when it was at stage one. But now we're at stage three and stage four. But God, I know you resurrected Jairus' daughter. She had only been dead for a few moments. And then I know that you interrupted a funeral procession. The widow of Nain's son had just died. And I know you're able to do that. But Mary and Martha were standing there saying, Look, we're in the middle of this trial, and by now, it's, it stinks. There's absolutely nothing can be done. 
Jesus delayed his coming. I'm going to tell you why he delayed his coming. He delayed his, his coming because he knew that they knew he was only a healer. But they didn't know him as the resurrection and the power. Sometimes, sometimes God's plan is this. Just to allow things to get so out of control that when things get put back together, you can't give the doctor props for it. And you can't take any credit for crawling out of that mess that you're in. Sometimes he allows things to get so bad that when it gets resolved, we turn around and say, it was only Jesus. It was only Jesus. If you've walked in here this night, and you need a miracle in your body, I want you to come up here. Hallelujah. I want all ministers to come up with me. Brother Ball, I want you to come up. Brother Snow, I want you to come up. Any minister, come on up, Brother Jordan. Come on, you can let your trial, you can allow your trial to make you walk out of this place and not come back to church. You can allow your trial to make you mad and angry and give you something to gripe about. I'm sorry I'm being so blunt. You can remain in your trial and waller in your pain and the suffering. Or you can say, Jesus, you're going to push me into my destiny. And I'm going to let this trial make me greater than I've ever been. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sing.